0: Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, Your Positive Potential, Action Steps for Self-Empowerment. And the author is L. Cristalina Sosch. And Cristalina joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Good to have you with us.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having
1: me. Well, first of all, I want to read a few things that you've written just to set the stage so everyone knows where we're going and they can jump aboard with us, and I know they're going to learn a lot. (laughs) You say this, your positive potential, Action Steps for Self-Empowerment, is a compilation of personal experiences, stories, and suggestions For getting past old physical and emotional wounds, to move on, to live a more productive life. You also say this, all adults have a past, and sometimes life happens without our permission. We have choices afterwards, and one of those choices is to take action steps for self-empowerment and live a productive life and live up to your positive potential." (laughs) Kristalina, you not only talk the talk, you walk the walk, because this is really based on your own life story.
2: Right. And because it is my own life story, it actually are portions of my personal journal. I love journaling. I believe in journaling, and I believe that journaling is part of the healing process that helps self-keep us sane. I mean, for me, it does.
1: So it's very important to write down what we're doing and what we're feeling.
2: Yes. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I've heard that before, and probably if it's boy, if it's that simple, and we don't do it, that's too bad, isn't it?
2: it? It really is. As a matter of fact, in my book, I have a life experiment, and if we could have a few minutes here, I would love to do a life experiment with you here on the radio.
1: A life experiment? Yeah. <laughs> Am I in trouble now?
2: Yes. Well, I think <laughs> we could all be in trouble if we if we cannot carry it out.
1: well let's go into a little bit more the details of your book first okay and you know as you say you uh, wrote this book from your own personal experiences stories and suggestions so the first half of the book is filled with real life scenarios Yes. now you've you know, you've protected the, the innocent, I guess. You've changed the names, but mm, yes. it's from your own life experiences. Now, why is this so important?
2: I think it's really important because I want to let people know that they are not alone. I think that a lot of times we think that nobody else has experienced such things, and I think that's one of the reasons why people don't seek help, to get over you know past experiences like regrets or resentments and anger and, and negative things that impact our life that makes us icky people. Like I used to be a really 10 years ago, I used to be a really angry, resentful person. I mean, I would blame friends, family situations for my negative outlook on life. And it was always somebody else's fault. Until I started learning and my my personal personal transformation is actually why I wrote this book, because I want to let people know that there is hope for everybody. No matter how icky your life has been, there is hope and it's not easy
1: (laughs) well and that seems so natural for people to do the point their fingers yes Mm -hmm. you know in that old saying you know if you're pointing your finger you have three fingers pointing back at you (laughs) right right exactly Yes. but that is a tough thing to look in the mirror and say i've got to change yes
2: so how my book actually talk about that about looking in the mirror i mean i was such an angry person every time i saw myself in the mirror i just i hated that person looking back at me i just literally hated that person it was like what that and going back to the part about i was a rotten no good person just taking up space on this planet just for that reason because i was just really angry but my own personal transformation it was not easy either though it took some years of work and that's why it's called um self-empowerment because i believe that the through self-empowerment, we are able to live a more productive life. However, the self-empowerment part actually comes from self-discipline. And that's,
1: and that's a daily I mean, activity, isn't it?
2: Yes, exactly.
1: And that's what makes this, even though it's simple, but because it's a daily demand, it's difficult for most people to stick with it. Yes. So yes. how did you stick with it?
2: Well, actually, I got so sick and tired of hearing myself, complaining, complaining. One morning, I literally woke up. It was about 10 years ago, I woke up, and I, I did the same old routine, and it was the same old complaints, the same old, same old. I mean, I was really good at it. I mean, why should I quit doing that? I mean, I was so good. But my, one morning, I woke up, and I said to myself, I just out loud said, you know, just stop whining and do something. I literally said, I said that, and I got up, and I wrote myself a poster and I, on a piece of paper, and I just put it right next to my bed. And that's when my personal transformation began. I started thinking, I need to do something. I need to take some action. I need to do my part in order if I'm going to, I mean, ever going to get past today. I mean, each day was just so negative.
1: Well, in your book, you have a title of, I guess it's a chapter or a section that says, Wounds Happen Without Our Permission. And we just got to, I guess, learn that that's just part of life.
2: Yes, yes. Some things happen to us that we have no control over. And that's what that's about. And the story of Katie Ann is something that happened to her that she had no control over. But yet someone else thought that they were doing her a favor. Someone else thought they were protecting her. However, it was, it was, it was not good. I mean, it was not good in the, for her future. But I know that every one of us has regrets. We've, I know myself. I've done things I wish I'd never done. I've said things I wish I'd never said. And also, people have done things to me that I wish they'd never happened, but yet, you know, they happen without our permission. But we have to, what we do with it is what, we, is what really determines the kind of life that we live afterwards.
1: And it's okay to ask for help.
2: It's definitely okay to ask for help. As a matter of fact, that's why I wrote this book, because in there I talk about, you know, it's, unless you talk about it, you won't know that other people have, have gone through that, too. As a matter of fact, one of my little chapters is called... Um, Help is not outside the well. And it's about this guy who jumps into the hole to help the person in the hole. And the guy in the hole says, now, how do you intend to help me if you're in here, too? And he says, I know the way out. And that's in my book, too.
1: That's the key, to know your way out. Now, you talk about affirmations. Now, we've heard about that. And oh, yeah. That's just, you know, <laughs> just saying these positive things. How in the world could that help anybody? <laughs>
2: That's what I wondered for years. As a matter of fact, I had a friend. I I talk about her, too, in my book, and she was always after me about affirmations, and I thought, oh, poor lady. I feel so sorry for her. She's just telling herself this lies, and she's trying to pretend that she has friends, and I was a very, very skeptical person when it came to affirmations, and when I least expected it, it happened to me, and it just happened, I mean, just out of the blue, and that's when I started believing them, but... No, I, I, we hear so much about affirmations and on and on. I've always thought they were lies, and they are not lies. I mean, they work. I really, really believe they work. And I talk about them in my book, too.
1: Now, as you've already talked about, blaming someone else for whatever we're going through never helps, never works. It's just a mm-hmm. waste of time and energy and probably a huge roadblock. But you say in your book, a little whining is good for you.
2: Yes. That little whining is what got me motivated to do something, because that's why I came up. The original title of my book was "Stop Whining and Do Something." <laughs> and one of the traditional publishers, when I first submitted my my manuscript to the traditional publishers, they were giving me feedback like, "Oh, that's too blunt." It's on and on, but so I actually did change the title "More Self Empowerment Stuff." <laughs> but that's what the original title was: "Stop Whining and Do Something." <laughs> So I think a little whining is good for us. If we listen to ourselves, if we really listen to ourselves, we can get something out of it.
1: Now let's talk about this self-esteem. That one time, you know, you just thought you were a rotten, no-good person taking up space on this planet. But you talk about a healthy uh, self-esteem versus overconfidence.
2: Yes. The healthy self-esteem has a lot to do with how we feel about ourselves, how our merit, our self-worth, about who we are and having a healthy self esteem is a, is really good for our, for our self image overconfidence is being cocky being thinking that you don't need anybody thinking that you can do everything yourself and you're in, really independent well there's no you know there's a difference
1: well of course we all can start this right today we could just just go full blown and just really accomplish a lot but why do we procrastinate? I and mean, we'll say, we'll do it tomorrow. We won't start today.
2: Yes. You know why? The reason for that is because we, human nature, has us being lazy. We want things the easy way. We look for the path of least resistance. And because of that, we, a lot of us are not able to get past those obstacles. Because it's like, we want somebody else to do it for us. We want somebody else to jump those hurdles for us and just say that we did it. And that's where self-discipline comes in. And self-discipline is so rewarding at the other side. And it's, it's just amazing because I think that, like I said, human nature, we want to be lazy. We just, it takes too much work. This self-discipline stuff is too much work. But the rewards are astounding.
1: And that's what we all want. But we, as you say, we've got to work for it. We just and got to make up our minds and do what you're telling us to do.
2: Yes, because they work, because I am a living proof. I really am. This personal transformation, like I said, I was... You would not want to meet me in a dark alley 10 years ago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, what about this statement? You talk about your own profitable mistakes. Now, how can mistakes be profitable?
2: Well, we can learn from our mistakes. That's what I'm talking about in there, because, okay, for example, I've done things that I regret. Now, because now I know better, I would not do that again. And not only that, but if somebody comes to me and tells me, oh, I did this or this happened to me, I can say, hey, you know, I did that too that happened to me, and this is how I handled it, and this is what it is today. And So, you know, it's there so we can help each other.
1: I like this heading for one of your sections. Is your dinosaur running you ragged?
2: Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, That's talking about how a lot of times we are... We're always in the fight or flight response. I mean, we're always running here, running there, and we just don't slow down. So all this all this dinosaur is running behind us, and and then it turns out we're just at the grocery store in line, or well, we're in the parking lot. and Somebody took our spot.
1: <laughs> now you have a then, whole you have a whole section on healthy living. Now that obviously we all know we should do things better in our you know we ought to exercise. We should eat better. We should take care of ourselves. How did you start and keep doing it?
2: Well, I actually started with a five-a-day, the colorway. I turned it into a little song. <laughs> and that's how I started practicing that stuff. And, you know, like like we talked earlier, we, we hear a lot of this stuff, but we do not implement it into our lives. Sometimes we feel like, oh, that's for somebody else. But once I started practicing some of this healthy eating, exercising and things, I started feeling, feeling better about myself. My self-esteem started going up. And I think that has a lot to do with, with our self-image and how we feel. And when we feel good about us. We can feel good about others, too.
1: And, of course, it's very important to set goals. We've been always, we hear that, we're taught that. What's a simple way to do that?
2: Well, one of the things that I have done in my book, actually, is I have a 12-page journal in the back of my book, which is I wish that a lot of self-help books had. And that's why I put it in there, because a lot of times when I'm reading a book that I really like and I'm getting ideas of how I can implement this into my life, I like to write it down and look at it and say, okay, is this, is this doable? Can I actually put this into my life? And I think that if just writing it down and, you know, we start working on it in our little mind thinking, of, oh, yes, you know, it's doable.
1: And you have a whole section on meditation. You know, one yes. is meditation in your brainwave. So there's some way they're connected, I guess.
2: Definitely, yes. As a matter of fact, we can alter our brainwaves just by closing our eyes. And I talk about that in there. We can literally alter our brainwaves. And I started learning meditation in 01, in 2001 when I was just at the end of my rope. I mean, I personally was suicidal. I just thought there's nothing left on this whole planet for me. I mean, it was bad. And I read an article about meditation and lowering your blood pressure and feeling better. And I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I just got to sit there and do nothing? Okay. (laughs) And that's how I got started. And then I got so interested that I became a meditation instructor and I really believe in this meditation.
1: And a whole section on relationships.
2: Yes, I believe every single day we are in some type of relationship, whether it's family members, coworkers, Uh, lovers, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, anybody, we're always in some type of relationship as long as we're living in society. And in the uh, relationship section, I talk about uh, ways to get along and what we can do for each other and how it's good for us. It's good for our health, you know, to talk things over. And so that's a pretty big section, too.
1: The profound difference between attachment and appreciation.
2: Oh, yes. That is very heavy duty. As a matter of fact, on the bottom, Um, On the footnote, it says, I actually learned that through therapy. When I lost a friend, uh, she passed away. She was a very, very dear friend. And my therapist taught me the difference between appreciation and attachment. And in attachment, if you lose something, it's like you lose your head over it. But in appreciation, you can be grateful that you had that relationship with somebody, like with my friend. Because I was, I was suicidal at that time, too. I've had a past <laughs> times when I was suicidal more than once. But when my friend passed away, I, I loved her so much because she had taught me so much. She was like 20 years older than me, and she taught me so much about life. And so I ended up in therapy, and this is my, my therapist explained to me the difference, that when we lose something, it, can we live without it? I mean, whether it's material or anything. I mean, there's a whole list in there of things that, you know, we get attached to. Or things that we appreciate.
1: The title of the book, Your Positive Potential Action Steps for Self Empowerment, and the author is L. Crystalina Soch. Crystalina, tell us how to get your book.
2: Okay, you can go to my website. It's called yourpositivepotential.com and it's also available on Amazon, at Barnes and Noble, on Borders. And over 500 book retailers on the internet, because I was curious, so I looked. (laughs) It's also available in in e-book, hardcover, and softcover.
1: Kristalina, thanks for being with us.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much for having me.
0: You're
3: listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Get ready for the not so soccer mom. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central, on Dougie Nat with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The not so soccer mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. In the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks working out constantly. Cosmetic shopping and politics into an actual website, and thus, notsosoccermom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing? Chronicling her opinions on everything. The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Bomb with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence and, more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to ThinkTech, that's T-E-K, Then join us as Rick and his guest teach us how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor, Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com.
0: Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Alice
1: in Corporate Land, A Curiouser and Curiouser Business. And the author is Joan Wendland, and Joan joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Joan.
4: Good morning. Good morning from South Haven, Michigan.
1: Well, this is going to be a journey with Alice. This is going to be a lot of fun. I want to read a couple of things that you've written to set the stage for everyone, because this is very different, unique, and instructional. I've spent 25 years, you say, as Alice in corporate land and have experienced three off-with-her-head corporate layoffs, one on April Fool's Day. Any person who has lost their job thinks they might, and those who left working 24-7 to make up the difference of the departed will relate to this story. And, of course, this is humorous, lighthearted relief from the rage, frustration of the corporate rat race. What gave you this idea? Joan, how did you become Alice in corporate land?
4: <laughs> Working there for 25 years.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes. A lot of it uh, just didn't make much sense, right?
4: Right. Well, I think the first thing was the, um, the first company, the first full-time company, I, I worked a lot of temporary jobs, but the first full-time company I worked for, they were having an employee appreciation day. And they were going to erect a big top tent, have games, and top-level executives were going to entertain us with rock-and-roll numbers, and we could buy our own food under the big top. And I thought, I said to a, a co-worker, I said, you know, this just gets curiouser and curiouser. If they really appreciate us, they give us a day off. And so when I said uh, curiouser and curiouser, I thought, you know, that's from Alice in Wonderland. And so I started looking into... You know, uh, rereading Alice in Wonderland and finding that things from Victorian times hadn't changed a lot since contemporary corporate times. So that's what kind of led to the idea. And then over the 25 years, over 20 years um, from that first incident, then I just kept collecting these things as I continued working.
1: Well, it's time for a disclaimer. I need a roll of the drums, though I probably won't get it. But anyway, here's the disclaimer to anyone ever right sized, downsized, or re engineered out of a job, and to those left clutching their computer chips, with apologies to Lewis Carroll and to the animals for assigning them human behaviors. And note, no animals were harmed during the writing of this story. All agreed to be trained for this tale. I love it. Very good. <laughs> Well, I had great fun doing it. Well, yes, my goodness, that's and 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 that's what we need today. We need to be able to laugh in spite of all the stress, in spite of all the unfortunate downsizing,
3: right?
4: Yeah, you know, it just nobody is 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 exempt from it. I mean, I I think everybody's experienced it in some way, uh, and me more than once. And um, I just decided to take this really, everybody feels, it's a heavy topic, it's a heavy situation and, and use some humor around it yet, keep an edge to it to make the point
1: well 40 something Alice starts out, she goes on her first interview in 20 years and falls into a paper pit, smack into the paws of the white rabbit of course who has doubled PhDs in mismanagement and sexual misconduct, whoop I thought it was G-rated. <laughs> I <laughs> it's guess very it's tastefully. not. No, it's okay. very tastefully done. Oh, okay.
4: All <laughs> but right. it makes
1: the point. <laughs> it makes the point. Okay, now, um, there probably isn't anything out there like this, is there? There's no other book like this out there.
4: Uh, no, I did some research, and I, I didn't find anything at all. And uh, particularly, this is written from a woman's point of view, and I am i have not been in management. I've always been in support roles, looking up through the layers, uh, so to speak, but I've had men read this. I had a scientist from a cement company, no less, um, uh, he was a chemist, and he said, oh my God, he said, I have worked with every single one of these people, and I know that
2: CEO.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know that CEO. <laughs> okay, well, you got to tell us about some of the characters. We're familiar with Alice in Wonderland, and of course, the very first uh, character that comes to my mind is uh, the Mad Hatter. Is there a Mad Hatter in your book?
4: Oh yes, there's oh. Madsen Hatter. <laughs>
1: Madsen Hatter. Yes, and
4: uh, he uh, ha, he has this uh, very frenzied frenzied look about him, like his his eyes are going to go twirling in the sockets any <laughs> any moment now. And uh, Alice happens to. Meet you know she's walking down the hallway and happens to see him in, in this in this um, conference room.
1: Yeah, it has to be a conference room. It has to be a big table.
4: Uh, yes, <laughs> but there's only two people there. He oh. and um, uh, the door mouse, the Adorable mouse.
1: Adorable <laughs> mouse. Who
4: can only mirror whatever he says, and um, uh, she seems to be quite. Um, uh, is, oblivious, is, oblivious to the fact that... Is that his
1: secretary or somebody you know, like it's that? A, it's
4: a co-worker, but he's a mouse and he's a ferret, and ferrets hunt. Oh! <laughs> hunt, hunt, hunt mice. So, so at any rate, he, he looks quite mad and very frenzied, and, and they, they've been hired to uh, stay in place uh, because of the, least, the recent downsizing that, that, that happened. All of their staff have been let go, so they've decided to, to hire Alice. For emotional flogging, so so that they have someone to give emotional floggings to.
1: One of the uh, more serious points that you're trying to make is there that there is life
3: after corporate.
4: Yes, and I've experienced, well, I've experienced, like I said, three corporate layoffs, and each time I've, you know, I've always had to go back to the corporate world, find another job. But it actually, I've gotten better jobs, better pay. uh, The first time, uh, or the second time I was laid off uh, on the April Fool's Day one, um, I got six months of severance, um, and I decided to take a little trip before I had to go back on the job hunt. And on this trip, I had a story idea, and I came back home and decided, you know, before I do the job hunt, I'm going to write this book. And so I did. And that particular book, Let's Fall in Love Till Wednesday, got a movie option, even though it never made a bestseller list and I had to go back to the corporate world. So then this third book, um, uh, or the second book, after my third layoff, I I wrote and it got an Editor's Choice Award. So I decided that, um, you know, I I do have another life. I have a creative life. Beyond corporate, and it's far more satisfying than anything I've ever done in the corporate world.
1: So you encourage people to seek that out in their lives.
4: Oh yes, uh, in creativity, in whatever way that um, that happens to you know resonate with them. Because I think within people there's there's that desire to do something that is unique to themselves and have a unique expression, and of course the corporate world, and really much of life. There is no encouragement to be unique. There's a lot of lip service to it, but there, there, really, there really isn't much encouragement. And uh, I see the world of creativity. If, if more people were encouraged to do that, we have a lot happier world.
1: So who is the queen? Off with your head, who's the queen?
4: Well, actually, it's the Duchess of Down Steepy Sizing. She's <laughs> been appointed by you know, His Highness, ah. uh, the, the egomaniac uh, CEO, to be the, the corporate head chopper. And so she goes around, uh, rushing around, yelling, off with your heads, off with your heads. And uh, Alice meets her in the very end, and, and uh, she forces Alice to participate in the down-steepy-sizing games, and, which are just, it's an absurd running of all departments, an ethnic cleansing of departments, if you will. And Alice concludes that, you know, intelligence creates a lot of confusion and trying to be
1: logical and reasonable about this can get you lost in the system for days. And I love that the rabbit is dressed in a pinstripe suit. Oh yes. And he has, of course, a watch.
4: With no hands. Oh really? Yeah it has no hands. And she's and he tells her when she meets him, she falls down this paper pit and he says, You're late, you're late. And she looks at the watch he's dangling in front of her face. She said she said, how can you say I'm late? Your watch has no hands. It's just a bunch of, of numbers falling down at, at the bottom. And he said, you know, he said, you're out of time. You're out of, you, you know, you, you, you've missed the boat. Um, in other words, you know, she she's, hasn't worked in 20 years, and this is her first job interview, um, so you're late. And so she said, well, I know that.
1: <laughs> Another theme... Again, back to a more serious note. You say, "Don't get mad. Get a new life."
4: Yeah, that's what I've done every time I've. um, I feel like I've recreated myself any number of times, and that I've, even though I've had to go back to the corporate world to support myself, um, in each of each of those times, it's like recreating myself, doing something a little bit different, and uh, this time. I have the opportunity to, because I'm, well, I say I'm not retired, I am creative, and so now I have the opportunity to be creative, and so I'm, I'm creating a new life with my creativity and helping others do that, too. It's like, for example, I uh, have um, two writing groups that I lead, and um, I remember one woman coming in, and she said, you know, I just, I write every day, but I don't, I don't want to publish or anything, and I don't want to, you know, do too much, about it. she's very, very quiet, And um, so anyway, three years later, she published, and four years later, she has now been given an award by a literary, uh, a newspaper, and uh, so she's receiving an award next week, as a matter of fact. She said, well, you know, I may write a book. (laughs) So the world of creativity, you know, changes things.
1: So when you look at you know the old uh, fable, which comes first, the chicken or the egg, uh, which comes first, the character story or the idea for the novel?
4: Um, the idea for the novel came first um, because, like I said, the, the curiouser and curiouser phrase you know, led me to go back to um, the original Alice in Corporate Land. And then I started saying, oh, what characters could I use and what personalities could I give them of um, personalities that I've met in my travels?
1: Who's the Cheshire Cat?
4: The Cheshire Cat is H.R. Cat. He is in charge of human resources. (laughs) And Alice, uh, she meets him later in her experience in corporate land. And she's quite relieved when she's walking down the hall and she sees a sign um, in the hallway outside his door saying human resources and she said at last after dealing with all these animals she said some place that deals with human matters and presumably the resources to deal with it and so she knocks very timidly on the door and then this very gravelly voice said come in, come in, come in And, and it's this cat with very sharp teeth and sharp claws but with this grin that goes from ear to ear and but doesn't look very sincere at all. And uh, he, he talks in riddles and, and is not, not kind or understanding at all. And so finally she said, well, I thought you were supposed to help me. And, and he said, well, if, he said, if you'd be so kind to leave, I have another appointment. And she said, well, just answer one thing before I leave. He said, okay, what is that? She said, I just would like to get out of here. To just tell me how I get out of here. And he said, "Very well. Where? How? Where do you want to go?" She said, "Doesn't matter. I just want to get out of here." He said, "There you go. Just keep walking. You're sure to get there."
1: <laughs> Another serious theme: change may be difficult, but good things can also happen as a result of it.
4: Yes. Well, I mean, uh, look. The second time I was laid off, I got. Uh, I, I wrote a book. In fact. I wasn't even intending to um, write a book. I just had a story idea. And then just kind of one thing led to another. And I said, you know, I am just going to write a book so I have something in my hand before I die. Because prior to that, my last rejection slip, it took them a year to send me the the rejection letter. And I said, you know, how many more years do I have left? I'm just going to do this because I want a book in my hand. And so that's why I did it. And so then as a result, I got all kinds of publicity from the Chicago Tribune. I got the movie option. And so had I not, you know, here I got laid off. That was a big change. But I took advantage of it and used it in a different way. And look what happened. And the same way with um, this, the third layoff. I wrote Alice in Corporate Land, deciding that, okay, let's wrap up this whole corporate life. And, uh, you know, what can I, creatively, what can I do with this? Well, I'd already been collecting all these anecdotes in the last 25 years, so I decided that would be a logical place to start. So, you know, look what happened because of that change.
1: Well, we have less than a minute. Tell us about the grand trainer, the dodo bird.
4: Oh, my. He's an extinct dodo bird. Um, And he teaches everybody in riddles. And he teaches management on high-speed treadmills. And <laughs> Alice said, you know, how do they, you know, how can they ever get any place? They're just running in place as fast as they, best they can. And he says, to get any other place at all, you have to run twice as hard as that.
1: The title of the book is Alice in Corporate Land, A Curiouser and Curiouser Business. And the author is Joan Wendland. Joan, tell us how to get your book.
4: Uh, Amazon.com, uh, BarnesandNoble.com, any of your, you know, retail online websites out there or requested at your local bookstore, um, it's, uh, it's available. Or, and also as an ebook, Nook and Kindle, Sony Reader, so lots of
1: places. And before we leave, I have to quote Yogi Berra in your book, quote, if you don't know where you are going, you might wind up someplace else. <laughs> Very good, Joan. Thank you so much for being with us on iUniverse Radio.
4: Oh, thank you. This has been a delight.
1: Joan Wendland, author of her book, Allison Corporate Land, A Curiouser and Curiouser Business.
0: You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages.
1: Hi
2: everybody, this is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Yes, why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear the latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix.
3: Girlfriend is on TuggyNet.
0: To iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen.
1: The title of the book, The Dark X, a medical mystery in African adventure. And the author is Dr. Gerald Lowenstein. And Jerry joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jerry. Hello, good morning. It's good morning here, anyway. (laughs) Well, good to have you with us, and you're going to take us on a journey into Africa and the roots of human existence as you see it. Uh, I want to just kind of comment on a few things, uh, read a few things that you have written to kind of set the stage. First of all, I just want everyone to know that you're a doctor, a nuclear physicist, a science writer, and a pioneer of Jurassic Park-type research and evolution. So right then and there, we could go down a lot of roads, couldn't we? (laughs) But we're going to stay focused on your book, The Dark X. And it has a, it's a novel, but based on a lot of experiences. You and your wife, who's an anthropologist, character Suzanne Albrecht, Albrecht. studies pygmy chimpanzees called bonobos, bonobos in Africa, and she suffers from a fever of unknown origin, and that's what... You get the uh, title of the book, The Dark X, because that forms on her, it's on a scan of her chest. And then, of course, the whole thing is to cure her and all the uh, adventures that go on in Africa and the tie to uh, this research of the chimpanzee to modern man. So how did you get... With all that you have accomplished and all that you have focused on, why all this interest in anthropology? As uh, one
5: friend said, I got into it through the bedroom door because my wife, Adrian Zilman, is a well-known anthropologist and author of a popular anthropology textbook called the Human Evolution Coloring Book. And uh, when I first met her, even before we got married, uh, uh, we started talking we met at a party in Santa Cruz and started talking about evolution that was something we had in common aside from being very much attracted to each other and uh we ended up going to Africa for 2 months together when we didn't when we hardly knew each other and uh that was my first experience in Africa and i was introduced to all kinds of animals including monkeys and chimpanzees and so forth and since then, we've gone back to Africa 10 times. I've lost track of the total number, but it's about 10. And um, she's done research with Jane Goodall, of course, the famous primatologist. And we spent time with Jane Goodall. And uh, Jane uh, and I became uh, good enough friends that she actually made me, appointed me to the board of the Jane Goodall Foundation. And we've also studied. Uh, Diane Fossey's Gorillas in Rwanda, and uh, we've just been all over the place. And Adrian also studies fossils, so the whole subject of human evolution and what is their closest living relative uh, got me fascinated with the subject. And, of course, at the same time, I was doing research on as you said, Jurassic Park-type research, fossil molecules, and trying to figure out from this how um, we are related or how various fossil species are related to living species. And um, so all all that background has gone into the book.
1: So, why this kind of an approach? Why write this novel? I guess you, of course, in, in a novel, you have a lot of license to bring forth a, a lot of your philosophy, a lot of your research, and, and do it through this mystery.
5: Well, you know, uh, I figure this is actually my fourth career. My first career was physics, and my second was medicine. And then I became a science writer. I've always actually done science writing. I started off in high school doing it and continued at MIT and Columbia uh, writing articles for the school newspapers. So I had those three careers behind me, but I've always been a lover of novels. I've read novels since I was a kid, and I always dreamed of someday writing a novel. So <clears throat> I still had this one-fourth career. Uh, to, uh, to do, and uh, I just decided to do it a few years ago. I decided to sit down and write a book and try to include in it a lot of my scientific experience, and the result is The Dark X.
1: And this book opens up in the prologue, Uh, it seems to be someone, uh, a member of the pygmy tribe is about to die and they're trying to use some kind of healing ceremony? That's right, Uh, it's
5: a a pygmy healer. Among the Africans, the pygmies have a reputation for being uh, great healers, partly it's because they live in the jungle. And they know a lot of the plants, and they know the healing abilities of many of the plants and animals. And uh, so they have that reputation. And this prologue is kind of an introduction to what is going to follow later on. And in fact, the doctor, the pygmy doctor, uh, doesn't appear again until about halfway through the book because he's conducting a healing ceremony at that point on one of his own tribal members. And the uh, healing ceremony is not successful, but then about halfway through the book, he he does the same kind of healing ceremony on Suzanne, the heroine of the book. So, when we're dealing with this dark X disease, that's right. Uh, she comes down. She, she studies the chimpanzees in the Central African Republic, and uh, the bonobos, and uh, she comes down with this fever. And it comes on and off, you know, it hasn't disabled her too much, but it's bothersome. So she's referred to the great medical center here in San Francisco, the University of California, uh, San Francisco Medical Center, where Dr. Tony Miller, who's the sharpest diagnostician on on the faculty, is making rounds. And so he examines her and studies her case and uh, suggests this uh, unusual type of scan and because they, they, nothing else shows up in the diagnostic workup so he has an instinct that this scan may show what's wrong and sure enough it shows that
1: she has a dark x-shaped lesion in her chest you've follow uh, a few themes in in the book. Uh, one of them uh, is the challenge of a doctor-patient relationship, especially if they're falling in love. Yes, that's as old as medicine. That's why we talk about the
5: Hippocratic Oath, because Hippocrates is one of the fathers who was probably the, considered the father of Western medicine. He was Greek, of course, and lived well several hundred years before the Common Era but the temptation between doctor and patient is so great because the doctor, of course, is helping and often. They, uh, he, he's, the doctors mostly were men, of course, in those days, often treating young women, and there's always a temptation of these people being attracted to each other and getting involved in an emotional relationship. Well, usually this has a very bad, bad result because it's hard to be both a healer and a lover and so the oath of Hippocrates, which doctors are supposed to take, one of the uh, clauses in it is that the doctor vows not to seduce, not ever to seduce a patient. And uh, so, even if the patient is more than willing, which uh, of course many patients are, the doctor is not supposed to be, get involved in a sexual relationship. And since uh, Tony and Suzanne are uh, at her site in Africa, the only uh, uh, Western people there, and he's trying to save her life, and uh, they're very attracted to each other. That's a a cause of tension that runs through the book. Their attraction to each other and his
1: determination not to become involved. And, of course, in the middle of this or in the story, we have uh, also sounds like some political intrigue. Yes, well, of course, that's a big thing in Africa nowadays, political intrigue, but it always
5: has been, and for someone who goes back and forth to Africa, uh, we've gotten caught in these uh, rebellions many times. I remember when we went to Rwanda to study guerrillas, there were bullet holes in the windows at our hotel because there had recently been an uprising, and subsequent to this, there was that horrible holocaust in Rwanda, of course, where they all killed each other off not long after we had been there. the same. We've had the same problems in uh, in Kenya. So this kind of thing goes on. And there used to be uh, somebody called the Emperor Bokasa, Bikasa, who was one of the worst tyrants in the Central African Republic. So uh, I have an underground clique uh, called the Bokasa clique, And the head of that clique uh, kidnaps uh, our our, uh, hero and heroine. And uh, the adventures, so that's one of their first adventures in Africa.
1: And, of course, another mystifying adventure I don't think any of us could relate to would be to have to fight a lion.
5: (laughs) Yes, well, um, I put that in because uh, one of the things that Bokasa did was to feed his enemies to his pet lions. He had oh, pet geez. lions, so uh, I have his uh, successor, Francois Nima, uh, doing the same thing. With uh, since he, he can't get uh, he can't get Suzanne to cooperate with him, he wants her to come to his side uh, and support his cause, and she refuses. So he actually puts. Suzanne and Tony into an arena with a with a lion, and what happens next is
1: one of the great adventures, of course, in the book. And a young chimpanzee uh, just falls in love with Suzanne. If if that's possible, I guess it is.
5: Well, I, I wouldn't say fall fell in love so or much. adores her. Has huh? loved her dearly because uh, his mother was his mother was shot by a hunter when he was quite young, and she adopted him because chimps who, uh, in fact, most animals in the wild, if their mothers are killed, they die themselves, and so in a way she saved his life, so he became very, uh, he was very bright, and she taught him sign language and learned to communicate with him, and she was, of course, very interested in that aspect of, of uh, chimpanzee life. And the bonobos are a particularly bright uh, species of chimpanzee. So he was extremely attached to her, and uh, he was her favorite, one of her favorites. And so when he saw her with Tony, he became very jealous of Tony because he, in a way, sensed
1: the relationship which they were trying to deny. And that sign language ability is real. I mean, that's just not in your book, but that's a, a real uh, aspect of what a chimpanzee can learn. Oh no, right? that's
5: not. That's that is very real. Uh, in fact, uh, you and I were talking before the program about there was a famous uh, uh, man who dealt with chimpanzees in Nevada named Gardner, and the first chimpanzee he he taught the first chimpanzee. Uh, sign language. His name, that chimpanzee was named Washoe, and uh, I remember a wonderful story about uh, uh, his teaching of uh, animals sign language because he had it. But I think when Washoe was a baby chimp, he was carrying her on his back, and uh, uh, the, they met another a man walking in the other direction with his baby on his back. And the chimpanzee made the sign for baby, and the baby said, "Monkey."
1: Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's uh, you know we don't realize the 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 intelligence that of uh, a chimpanzee or uh, other animal species could uh, that have they really have. So it's exciting to see that now. Bonobos have been a popular Subject of many articles recently, haven't they? Yes, they have. Uh,
5: and uh, actually, my wife, Adrienne, is a person who, who put uh, bonobos on the map, so to speak. She didn't discover them. There was That was a man named Harold uh, Coolidge, uh, who was looking at a collection of bones, and he noticed that the bones of this group of chimpanzees is quite different in many ways from the bones of other chimpanzees, and he called them pygmy chimps because the skull was smaller. Uh, In fact, they're not pygmies; they're just slightly smaller than the common species, but they are relatively rare species. So um, they've become... uh, once, oh, and Adrian wrote an article for Nature magazine, which is probably the most widely read science magazine in the world. It's a British magazine published in London. And uh, she wrote an article. Uh, she had studied pygmy chimpanzees. Actually, she'd studied the bones as well as the, the living uh, animals in captivity. And uh, she, since she was an expert on human evolution, uh, it seemed to her that the pygmy chimpanzees, the bonobos, actually were more like human beings, uh, had more human characteristics than the other species, which had been a species mostly studied, especially by Jane Goodall. So she wrote this article in which she said that pygmy chimpanzees, the scientific name is Pan Paniscus, were, uh, were an ideal model for the human ancestor and uh, as a result of that article a lot of people went to africa and began studying pygmy chimpanzees and so as you say they've become a very
1: popular species of study the title of the book the dark x a medical mystery and african adventure and the author is dr gerald lowenstein jerry tell us how to get your book Well, it's uh,
5: available on Amazon and from the publisher uh, uh, iUniverse. I-U-N-I-V-E-R-S-E is the publisher. But probably the easiest is just to go to Amazon and ask for the Dark X. Be sure to use my name because there are other titles that are similar. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you very much. It's great talking to you again